0: Welcome to the Indie
1: Writer Podcast, where we talk about all things writing and indie publishing. Today we are excited to talk about queer romance. We have two guests with us today, TJ Alexander and Timothy Janowski. TJ Alexander is an amateur baker and author who writes about queer love. Originally from Florida, they received their MA in writing and publishing from Emerson College in Boston. They live in New York City with their wife and various houseplants. They are represented by Larissa Milo Gankowski of Jill Grinberg Literary Management. Timothy Janowski is a queer multidisciplinary storyteller from New Jersey. He holds a bachelor's degree from Muhlenberg College and a self appointed certificate in rom com studies, accreditation pending. When he's not daydreaming about a young Hugh Grant, he's telling jokes, playing characters, and writing books. Never Been Kissed is his first novel. And I should have mentioned, TJ's book is called Chef's Kiss. I'm excited to talk to both of you. Thank you both for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, no, I'm no Excited problem. to be here. Yeah, it's, I'm so excited to talk to you both. So we're going to talk about romance uh, first. And I would like to know from both of you, what drew you to this genre? I'll call on you, but I'll like switch back and forth. Oh, so. thank God. I'll start with TJ on this one.
0: Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just
1: going in alphabetical
0: order. <laughs> no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so, what drew me to romance? I don't know. I, even as a little kid, I was always more interested in stories about characters feeling stuff, you know, as opposed to like action happening and, you know, big set piece adventures and things like that. Like all my teenage mutant ninja turtle, like daydreams as a small child were all about them, like being introspective and like looking into their like motivations as a character, which is not exciting as like a cartoon. So like all my like very poorly drawn storyboards probably would not have ever been picked up by um, any major network. But yeah, like I just, I always enjoyed, that part of characters and love like is one of the the big emotions like the biggest right it's the most exciting and wonder-making and there are so many different things that could go into it so you know when i think about what i want to write it almost always is a romance yeah how about you timothy
2: yeah i think pretty similarly for me i was remember being very young and watching 13 going on 30 for the first time and just such, such a fun movie. And I, I remember, I don't, I don't know. This is kind of like a, like a queer people tangent, but like, as a queer person, I remember like from a very young age being like, I'm different. I don't know why, but I know I'm different. And I remember self identifying really, really often with rom-com heroines like Mm, in mm -hmm. movies And I just became kind of obsessed with like pithy banter and like having a job in publishing and like doing the city (laughs) thing and going to a small town. These things just felt really magical to me in a way that the same way, TJ, like you said, going on adventures didn't do it for me. Like falling in love felt like the big adventure of my life. And so those were the stories I sought out. And then as I started to uh, understand my own identity, I was like, wait, I don't see myself in these stories why is that? And then the more I interrogated that, the more I was like, oh, cause I'm, I'm not, I haven't been written into these stories. And so I think for me, I was drawn to romance because I wanted to self insert myself into this fun world of, you know, shenanigans and flirting <laughs> and making jokes. So.
1: I love that. I was going to say in your book, um, so I'm not Queer, or I don't identify as queer, but I do identify as demisexual. So that's the first time I've ever seen that in a book. So I was really excited. I felt, you know, I was like, "Wow, this is really where I'm at." So I appreciated that. Uh,
2: yeah, thank you. I'm I'm so glad that that yeah. resonated with you. Yeah, it was I'm... funny for me um, writing this book because I had pitched it to my editor, started. Um, like writing out a synopsis and the character breakdowns and I wrote the first three chapters not knowing that about Ren and then I was Mm. like oh wait something something here I was like oh he's Demi and then I was like oh he's Demi and he doesn't know and that actually ended up then being able to thread it through the story which was yeah cool writerly thing that happened
1: it makes a lot of sense based on the setup yeah which yeah, if you I, if you want to tell our readers, I know both of you should tell our readers about what your book is about. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, So Never Been Kissed tells the story of Ren Roland. He's never been kissed, never been in love, but he wants a movie perfect ending more than anything. Um and on the night of his 22nd birthday, he gets very drunk and very nostalgic and he sends some ill-advised emails to all the boys he crushed on before he came out of the closet. And when he wakes up in the morning, he has a response from his like number one high school crush, Derek Haverford. And through that interaction, he finds out that they're going to be working together at their hometown vintage drive-in movie theater. And Ren takes that as the first, like, oh, no, this is going to be terrible. And then as the summer goes on and a special project draws them together, he thinks that this might be the right moment for his perfect kiss before the credits. And that is, that's the gist of it.
1: Oh and I love I love that like I won't spoil it for anyone but there are there are just some really good moments in the in the film and the the build up to that kiss. So
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, TJ, why don't you tell us about your book too?
0: Sure. Uh so Chef's Kiss is the story of Simone, a kind of uptight pastry chef. Who works at an old school, like gourmet cookbook publisher in New York City. And it's her dream job. It's what she's always wanted to do. And then suddenly her bosses decide that the company needs to be brought into the 21st century and they're going to pivot to video and do all this social media stuff that she is like, not only like uninterested in she's like really bad at it it's not at all you know one of her talents and she's used to being completely perfect in every way so while she's struggling with this her new kitchen manager ray who turns out to be non-binary accidentally goes viral with some homebrewing videos that they were putting together like just for fun or a joke and the company obviously wants to capitalize on this um unexpected popularity and is forcing them to work together on a special project forcing characters to work together on special (laughs) projects (laughs) is like is it the realest way to get opposites uh in the same room i think so um so so ray and simone um are drawn together to do uh do this special project and they obviously start getting closer and closer and closer Mm -hmm. you know you know
1: yeah and simone doesn't really like ray at the beginning which i thought was so odd because i loved ray like from the minute they walked onto the page
0: (laughs) i was like why don't
1: you like them
0: It's a definite enemies to lovers character arc. And I I mean, in Simone's defense, Ray shows up at the worst time and is amazingly, like, easily handling all these things that she is supposed to be doing. And so, you know, for someone like that, someone who's, like, used to always getting it right on the first try, I can see why you might be frustrated <laughs> with some some weirdo who just walks on and is, like, immediately perfect at something without even yeah, trying. Yeah. Not that I'm projecting, but.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or just kind of like, here I am, you know, and not even realizing that they are good at what they do. I'm Not even that, like they know they're good at what they do, but like being like, I'm here and not worrying about being
0: perfect. Right. So. And that's like, that's ironically the way that like stuff that goes big on the internet works, right? Like you know you can work on a tweet or a meme for hours and hours and then post it and it's like crickets and then some the silliest thing that you've ever put up on your twitter gets like thousands of likes it's like such a crap shoot and it really yeah yeah,
1: yeah simone like when she does her first video it's like the perfect like hands and making the thing that's like three minutes long and then it's like she's checking the the number of people who look at it it's like i have six views and
0: one of them's your mom mom. (laughs) (laughs) I mean who hasn't been there like refreshing 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 the page hoping hoping to see the number go up Yeah. yeah
1: yeah so I guess that's a good segue into our next question so do you start with the characters or the plot first so I'll start with Timothy on that one I think
2: every project is different I would say that I come from a background of, of act, I've, I've, I've acted, um, I've done a little bit of stand-up comedy. So it's usually character first for me because I want to find out what makes them laugh, what makes them cry, what's their biggest want, what's their deepest fear. And I usually just start by like throwing that character into the most uncomfortable situation I can think of for them and see how they work their way out of it. And then from there develop a plot and then also trying to find a foil to that, like two characters that are going to help each other grow by the end of the book so that this love story has kind of a an outward effect on mm. their lives and their goals and their dreams and things like that. But I will also say that I think I wrote Never Been Kissed character first. Um, I wrote You're a Mean One, Matthew Prince, which is my Christmas rom-com character first. Um, but I'm working on another project now. And it was very much plot first. Mm -hmm. It was very much like, I know that I have this idea for a really high concept rom-com. How do I now develop characters that will inhabit this world and still feel authentic and genuine and and honest and all the things we strive for as writers to make sure that our readers um, glom onto our characters? Cool. How about you, TJ?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think like Timothy said, I think it totally depends on the project like for Chef's Kiss, for me, the main like hook of the idea came first. It was, you know, what if these two people who aren't getting along at first are forced to work together in a test kitchen? Like that's what I wanted to write. And, and then from there, it was sort of developed and got fleshed out because then I could, you know, think like, okay, well, you know, I need to know how they would react in this situation. So you need to know what kind of person they are. So then the characters, you know, come and then from there, their decisions that make sense naturally will inform the plot, which is so annoying because you think, you know, sometimes how something's going to go and then you get to the part where you think like, well, you know, A is going to happen and then you're like, no. Ray's going to make B happen, actually. Like, I guess we're doing B. So yeah, that's that's how it worked out in this book. But like Timothy said, like, it's going to be different for for every book I write, I'm sure. The the one that I'm writing right now, um, book two, is definitely characters first. And then like, I had to kind of construct a plot around
1: them. Yeah, I, I usually go for plot first, but I totally resonate with that you know, I have the outline totally written and then the characters will just be like, no. And it's so odd, isn't it? Like, it just feels strange. It's like these people you made up in your head and they do their own things. Like, it's just,
2: it's just weird. Yeah.
1: So I wonder too,
2: sometimes TJ, I don't know if you, guys, you both can relate, but sometimes finding voice is always really hard too. I always factor that in. It's like character plot and voice because finding the character's unique manner of speaking. And then also if you're writing, I usually write from the first person point of view. And so making sure that this character sounds distinct in a way that we're like living in their brain for 200, 300 pages. Like, I think that's another factor that I always have to, to keep in mind when I'm, when I'm writing because I want it to feel like a friend. I always want it to feel like a friend. Um, but maybe one day I want it to feel like an enemy. <laughs> maybe one day I'll write a <laughs> villain romance and I'll want it to be like an enemy. Oh, but for man. now, are always friends.
0: I love that. And it, find your antagonistic voice.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! Like D and D characters, like lawful evil and chaotic evil. Like you could have mm-hmm. two evils together,
0: but one's chaotic and
1: one's lawful. Like
2: yeah,
0: yeah. I've got to say, I love writing for villains. Like even in rom coms, sometimes you have a villain i think chef's kiss has yes (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) there is a villainous figure in chef's kiss named chase who is like everyone's met this guy he's just the worst (laughs) you know him like you've met him you've had to listen to him talk in meetings and it's like that to me is very fun to write because it's i don't know it's very relatable (laughs) yeah. yeah it's
1: like you want them to get their comeuppance
0: and i'm not gonna spoil it but
2: i think I writing like an antagonist too from as the protagonist like the antagonist as protagonist i think it's so funny that um you know it just happened that my my two so i'm like double debuting kind of this year but uh never been kissed has like this almost naive very sensitive very internal protagonist but in you're a mean one matthew prince i mean like page one you're like this guy's a dick like he is pretentious he is spoiled like he waltzes in here in his gucci boots like i'm here now like and you know obviously the point of the title and in in the grinch and everything too we learn like oh you know he's he's sensitive he has he has things going on underneath the surface um and i remember working with my editor and she was saying to me she was like these books couldn't thematically and structurally very similar but like these characters couldn't be more different and i was like oh, i just don't want people to hate him she's like oh no no like we we're like we're like oh yeah he's a dick but we're like oh baby no oh baby there's <laughs> there's a lot underneath the surface there that we got to excavate before we get to the end of this
1: that um, is awesome that you know. that sounds really good and yeah yeah exactly you got a villain has got to have some kind of flaw and well obviously they have a lot of flaws but like they have to have some kind of like something under the surface that makes them relatable
0: and not to get like too deep in the weeds in armchair therapy or anything but part of queer culture i think growing up perhaps timothy in the era that we did like all villains were queer coded like i was in love with every villain in every disney film i was just like that's the coolest person i've ever seen like (laughs) they're doing what they want to do like isn't that isn't that what we're all striving for when you come down to it so like yeah I'm so looking forward to that book of yours because I love I love a Gucci boot villain I
1: just yeah nice nice you don't see Derek as a villain though like he's kind of a little bit like he ghosts um run you know like I kind of like resented him a little bit for that but you know I don't really see him as like a straight up you know, bad guy.
2: No, no, definitely not. And and I think with Never Been Kissed and and you know not to spoil the book or anything, but there is the the kind of external villain of that story is like what's right. going to be taken away from them. Right. And with Derek, especially the character arc that I gave him, when Ren comes to understand the motivations behind the ghosting and and why he kind of stood him up back at the at the beginning of college, I think things slot into place when Ren realizes like, oh, this is my journey of self-discovery. And he was quietly on a journey of self-discovery that I just wasn't privy to at the time. Um, and I think that kind of opened up, kind of unlocked a little part of, of their relationship for me. Um, so yeah, I definitely don't see him as as a villain at all, really.
1: That's interesting. So one thing I've noticed in my reading of romances is is that, you know, there's that whole like trope of, you know, the characters get together, maybe at like 30% or the midpoint, like they start a relationship. And then there's something that gets them to have a conflict close to like 70%. And then they get back together and everyone's happy. But I noticed in both of your books that, that you both played with that structure a little bit. And I really like that a lot i mean obviously some of that was in there but i think they both had conflict earlier on usually it's like you know we're enemies and now we're lovers and then we're enemies again you know like there was a lot of like internal struggle for both of them so i wondered about that how do you structure your romances and do you change it you know based on the story
0: um (sighs) Well, I mean, I hate to say this because, I mean, you, your very kind words made it sound like I am a genius who knows what they're doing, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, I really don't go into, I don't go into writing a draft with a certain structure in mind, really. I mean, there are certain romance beats that I want to hit, you know, certain set pieces that I feel are necessary just for the genre. Like I love a divorce arc. There's gotta be Mm. some conflict in there at some point. You know, I love the kind of midpoint, like, ooh, we're getting closer. What is this feeling? Kind of like that is, that's what you want. But like for Chef's Kiss, I just, I went into it knowing that it was gonna have to be a slow burn just for plot reasons, like there was no way that these characters could get together at 25%, at 50%, mm-hmm. you know, halfway through the the story. It just, it wouldn't have worked with, you know, how things were going around them and who they were. Like Simone is the prickliest person you've ever met mm-hmm. and it was gonna take 300 pages <laughs> to kind of, you know, peel back her little um, candy-coated shell and, I, I know that some people would love to see, you know, a fast burn, and I love a fast burn. Uh, don't get me wrong, but for, for, the, for the for the purposes of this character and for for this story, I was like, they can't earn that happy ever after unless we <laughs> unless we just eke it out forever, man. So yeah, that's how, that's how that structure went for me.
2: I love that. And I and I relate to that that too. I think for me, Never Been Kissed went through so many drafts. Like so, so many drafts. Um, characters popped in, characters popped out. There are characters that you will never meet because they exist in a file that the world will never know. But I kind of went about it thinking about the romance structure in books that I love, thinking like, how can I emulate that? Also in films that I love, because that's kind of Ren how, how Ren sees the world is through a movie structure. Um, and it wasn't until maybe like draft three that I actually went and finally read the oft-talked-about book, Save the Cat, um, which, um, and I read the screenwriting version of that book uh, on purpose because I wanted to be able to take that three-act structure since that's how Ren sees the world and make book, make book, that's that's very good grammar, make book out of that. and um, And so I was able to then retrofit my favorite scenes in the story arc into that structure um, so that we kind of got a cinematic uh, up and down of of of, um, of plot. And so, yeah, I, I also do not think I'm a genius. I also do not think that it all just kind of eked out in, in the best way possible. But I think using that as a structure was actually really helpful for me because it, gave me a sense of beat plot it gave me a sense of pacing it gave me a sense of urgency that sometimes um almost like um i kind of like sometimes to say i like my romances to read like a thriller i want to be flipping the pages i want that tension or, or that banter to be so crackling that i'm like i have to know where this romance is about to go so that's that's for never been kissed but for other books i used romancing the beat i've used um you know, just different structures, depending on how I see the characters moving together, how quick, how slow, um, how fast is their romance gonna burn.
1: So the B story I definitely want to talk about because both of you have really cool B stories. I really liked in TJ's case, Simone's baking. like she's just so good at it and <laughs> and Timothy, like, I love that story about Alice and the film. So there is a um, film that was never premiered and Ren wants to get this film on the big screen at the drive-in and it just, I love that story. And Alice so prickly and, you know, like go away (laughs) and she turns out to be like one of the best characters. So, um, Timothy, why don't I ask you first about your B story development?
2: Yeah. So thank you. I, I I think Alice is also my favorite part of the book, which is maybe not what you're supposed to say when you're promoting a romance. <laughs> um, it's supposed to be the couple and the love story and the whatever, but she is actually another part of the multiple draft process that I went mm-hmm. through on this book. She was a very small part in only a couple scenes of the book originally. Ren wanted, still wanted to show the movie, but it was just a quick, you know, in out type deal. If they get permission, they move on. But I knew it's not really a twist, but there's a little bit of a twist towards the 70% mark of the book. And I knew the resolution of the story going in, I'm not gonna spoil it. So there's there's a resolution at the end that I knew was going to happen. And it made me feel like, okay, well, Alice's want is that she really wants to not live in this town of Willow Valley anymore. She doesn't wanna live in this house. It has too many painful memories for her. Um, And the whole book is about second chances. And I was like, she deserves a happy ending too. Like if Ren and Derek deserve one, so does she. And the more I just started thinking about her lost film, which is called Chomping at the Bit, which is also a second chance movie with a zombie and it's a whole thing. I did all this research into female film directors from the seventies. And I watched a bunch of these B movies and I, I just had such a good time getting to know uh this kind of world. And so when I went to develop her character, I realized she was the mentor in the Save the Cat structure. She was the one that was like like Ren was complaining, like, oh, like I don't know. He tried to kiss me and I pulled away. It's like she's like, get over yourself. Life is way too short. Like you need to go headfirst into this thing because I've been watching you two all summer and you got something going on. And so um yeah that was kind of the development there. And so it became kind of like this I keep saying like Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo-esque B-plot that I just had a really, really good time writing. And so I just didn't, I wanted her to have as much page time as possible. That's
1: great. TJ, how about you? Let's talk a little bit more about that baking.
0: Yeah. So my B-plot is just like calories. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, the If there is a B-plot in Chef's Kiss, it's Simone's lifelong love affair with food. And how that is kind of, you know, permeating all the different relationships around her, all the friendships that she is starting to date and her, you know, burgeoning relationship with Ray. And it's, you know, how she's showing care to people when she cooks for them or makes them something. It's how she apologizes when she feels she needs to, you know, make some makeup with somebody. So I had all these recipes in mind and, you know, we were talking about this before you joined Timothy. I am not the best cook or baker in the world. I am just a home cook. Uh, I I had just learned how to bake like a couple of years ago as part of my (laughs) stress relief regimen. You know, I'm not an expert at this stuff, but Simone is. So I had to pretend like I could be an expert at this stuff. And I was creating like all these fictional recipes that I thought she might, um, you know, make in the course. Of and um, some of them are, are foods that I was familiar with, or you know, kind of a twist on foods that I was familiar with. And some of them were just like wholesale, like you know, dreamt up in a, a fever dream of mine, like, ooh, you know, what I bet would taste good. Um, and I've never ever made them at all. And then as the, you know, we're getting closer to the book coming out my publisher was like, you need to like write down these recipes so that like we can use them for like bookmarks and stuff. That would be so cool. And I was like, yeah. And then I was like, oh no, <laughs> I've got to like actually figure out how a human being would would make this stuff in real life. Like, ooh, okay. So, you know, it was many weeks of me, you know, making 10 cheesecakes in a row and giving so many so many cakes to my neighbors and stuff because it was just, it was getting out of hand and realizing like, damn, Simone's good at this. This is really hard. <laughs> like, I made her really good at this. Yeah, it, it was fun, but definitely not um, something I would have done in real life because my real life uh, style of cooking and baking is like very simple, one pot stuff. But like, I just, writing wise and reading as well, like just hearing about food and how food tastes, that's like my favorite part of any book. Like. When I was a kid and my mom was like reading us, you know, the Lord of the Rings books before bedtime, I was always just like, well, what's the Lambus bread taste like? What is it? Is it sweet? Is it savory? Like, I need details. And she's like, it doesn't say. And I'm like, well, then that's bad writing. (laughs) I would get very frustrated if you just like, you know, George R. R. Martin, to his credit, will like spend five pages on describing every dish at a dinner party. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Keep going. I love it. I could. I could definitely read an entire book of that. So I guess I wrote it. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I, I love food books. I just any cozy mystery or romance that's set in a restaurant or like a pastry shop. It's just like, Oh, I love it. Bakery. It's just the best. It really, and it is kind of a metaphor for what's going on especially when it's a slow, like Simone really takes her time on everything she does. And I'm not that patient. Like I could not sit there and spend an hour just prepping something. Anytime I see a recipe that's like time to bake 1.5 hours or whatever. I'm like, nope, not doing this one. (laughs) So for this question, we'll start with TJ. I want to ask what's the hardest thing about writing
0: romance? probably the hardest thing about writing romance is similar to like the hardest thing in writing anything. It's just, you know, how do you make a story feel new and exciting when so many of these stories or, you know, versions of these stories are really old, like the Stories about two people falling in love are probably some of the oldest stories in the wor- world, I think. Like maybe murder mysteries are older. <laughs> I think that's a Cain and Abel kind of thing that, that might have just like eked out um, the metal there. But, um, you know, how do you tell a love story in a way that feels really surprising or fresh. And luckily, as people who write queer romances, we are in a great position to kind of break new ground every day because our stories have not been told or celebrated uh, for a very long time. So that is um, a good bonus that I'm working with. Uh, but you know, you don't wanna rely completely on that because hopefully, fingers crossed, one day that won't be true. So yeah, trying to figure out like, okay, these two people meet, you know, they eventually fall in love. How how do I make that something different?
2: I completely, I completely agree with everything you said, TJ. I think too, to bring it specifically to queer romance is that I think Ren in the, in, in, never been kissed says something about how queer people exist on a completely different relationship timeline than our straight peers do and, or our cisgender peers are, you know, going, going on and on. And so it's finding ways to um, not that we write for readers expectations, but romance as a genre has conventions that we we really do need to adhere to, to some degree in order to satisfy the reader. When they pick up a romance off the romance shelf, we guarantee them a happily ever after. We guarantee them certain markers on the way through, and it's figuring out how to distill queer experience. Cause even that's nuanced, right? Just saying queer romance, you know, queer people aren't a monolith. We all have nuanced lived experiences. And so distilling a character's queer experience while still Satisfying the romance beats and and you know, I said, we don't write to meet readers' expectations, but we write the stories we wanted to read, or at least I know I do, and so if I'm opening up a queer romance, like I want that first kiss moment, I want that pithy banter, I want that date that goes horribly awry, or when they get locked in the closet and they can't get out, like yeah, so it's just finding a way to make that um Make that experience again feel fresh, feel new, but also feel authentic to those characters' experiences, and making sure that you're kind of reflecting a lived experience in a way that feels relatable, so that readers can find points of connection, even if they they don't self-identify as in the way that, in the ways that the characters do.
0: I would love to just off of that excellent and well thought out point, add my add my weird little two cents of like. So many um very kind people who've read advanced copies of Chef's Kiss have gotten in touch to say, like, you know, I'm, you know, although I'm not queer, or although I'm not trans, non-binary, like this is, you know, this was a character or a story that I found super relatable and, you know, helpful, and you know, that's that is some of the the greatest praise, right? Because you're writing, you know, hopefully for not just your own point of view, but like the point of view of you know the reader who might not have had your lived experience and hoping that there is some common ground there and of course there is of course there is we all want to be loved and to see love um happening so like all i meant is timothy you're absolutely right <laughs>
2: <laughs> we're coming from the exact same place
0: yeah we're on the same page <laughs> at least
1: in my case i mostly write mystery although i do dabble in like romance and science fiction because that's what I like but I've noticed at least for me specifically I'll be like working on something and then I'll see that another book comes out with like a very similar premise and then I'm just like no but then when you think about it well first of all like if you're writing a book and it's on submission it's gonna be like two years before the book comes out And then the other thing, too, is like everybody approaches a story differently, but it can be just so disheartening to see that.
0: Yeah, I had a very similar experience to what you're describing, where when my book deal was first announced, I think the first like random person on Twitter who commented on it was like, Oh, another non-binary baking romance. And I was like, what, huh? (laughs) Like, and that, that attitude is a little bit, um, not what I'm looking for in my life. But you know, if your listeners aren't familiar, love and Other disasters by Anita Kelly Mm -hmm. came out uh, this January, an amazing book, a beautiful, beautiful book that everyone should read. Please go read it. Um, And it is about a non-binary character, you know, falling in love with a cis woman. Um, So in that sense, it is similar to Chef's Kiss. But, you know, readers aren't, they're not so silly as to think like, oh, that's all a book is about. Like, you know, readers can understand that, like, there's never going to be two stories that are exactly similar, that there are going to be these differences in how, you know, that story is told, which is amazing. You know, that's what we want. And also, like, it's two cakes, right? No one's complaining if you come to a party with a cake and someone else has also brought a cake. Everyone just gets more cake. Everyone wins. Like, <laughs> that's, like I want to read more books about non-binary people baking cakes, of course. That's, that's why I wrote a book about it. So, so why would I, you know, why would I be, uh, you know, um, I, of course I was nervous that, you know, people would see, uh, Anita's book next to my book and think like, oh, you know, the same old, same old, but like, I think that that is, that is a very small, I think, proportion of reactions. I think most people will react the way I did, which is like, oh my God, cool. Like, yeah, that's just my take on that.
1: <laughs> I did, you know, I read that one also and I totally agree. Like, that one is set in a competition. Chef Wars or Iron Chef yeah. or mm-hmm. yeah, uh, like Chopped a... or something like that. Yeah. So that that was really different. And then also yeah. the non-binary character never comes out. They're just non-binary, you know, from the beginning. And, yeah. you know, that's your choice as to how you want to represent that. Do you want character to come out or... You know, is a story just about the characters how they are. And I appreciate any story
0: like that. So, yeah, yeah. any version of the non binary experience, I, you know, in my opinion, obviously I'm biased, but like we have so, we have had so few examples of it, especially in the rom com genre that like. I am welcoming all examples of it. I think that, you know, there is no wrong way to tell that story. I just want more of it, please, for me personally.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to go like some of my best friends are trans, but. No, please. Please. Um, we love <laughs> <laughs> I You know, I have a friend, you know, and a coworker whose spouse transitioned a few years ago and he's cis um, male and, he said to me, there aren't a lot of books about our stories. And he's not really a romance reader, like he's more of an SF. But when I recommended both of your books, Anita's and yours, he was like, I want to check these out. So, you know, him wanting to reflect on his spouse's experiences and just see, see themselves in a story, just like you were saying earlier. So I thought that
0: was cool. That's lovely. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about craft. I always ask our authors about craft. I, we've touched on it a little bit, save the cat and stuff, but, um, what advice would you give a new writer in this genre specifically? And if there's other books you want to recommend, or even like similar stories to yours that people would want to read maybe as a, you know, as a model or as a, next book to read after they read yours
2: yeah so as far as advice I I always um I went to um I was lucky enough to participate in the Lehigh Valley Book Festival a couple weekends ago and one of the authors there I I can't attribute that I saw saw so many authors there that I can not attribute it to um one person in particular but they they mentioned that your voice is your number one selling point what you're always selling no matter what you write whether it's a murder mystery whether it's a romance whether it's a sci-fi fantasy novel is your voice and and because that's the thing that makes you uniquely you as a writer and i think and i know that's that's kind of a nebulous piece of advice but saying like always trust your voice your lived Mm -hmm. experience your interests and ideas about the world are what make you interesting as a writer and i think um somebody somebody asked me recently like oh like there's social media posts there's emails there's movies there's theater references in never been kissed like that's so ambitious how did you put that all together i was like that's just how i see the world i wake up i scroll instagram at night before i go to bed i watch a movie like those is just the way i experience the world and so making sure that you are being honest to who you are and telling the stories you want to tell i don't think you can ever go wrong doing that um I'm also a big proponent for listening to audiobooks as oh, yeah, a way to audiobooks. learn about craft. Yeah. I was recently um diagnosed with ADHD. And so I have noticed, you know, especially during the pandemic, it's been really hard for me to open a book and sit down, especially if it's an ebook and focus. Um, but audiobooks are a really nice way for me to be multitasking and, and still Kind of gathering story, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I always kind of think of being a writer as being like a hunter gatherer. You're like foraging for words and sentence structure and um, whatever. And I think audiobooks are an excellent way to get character voices up in your mind so that when you're creating your own characters, you can take them from up here and put them on the page. So, those are my two biggest pieces of advice. But I would say um, if you wanted to read something similar to Never Been Kissed, I will always, always, always recommend The Charm Offensive by Allison Cochrane. Oh, okay. Um, I haven't read that one
1: yet.
2: It's excellent. Um, Allison and I are good friends. Allison's The Charm Offensive is also with Atria, um, which TJ's okay. Chef's Kiss is with. And The Charm Offensive also has demisexual representation in the oh, book. Good. Really big, um, really big part of the story, and it takes place on the set of a bachelor-esque reality show. So, if anyone liked um, Love and Other Disasters, like the the game show element of that, you'll really like this book. And for me, it's it's those really frank discussions about queerness and demisexuality that come up, or really organically through this romance. It's a really high stakes, high pressure situation, but they have these really intimate conversations that I just think are are beautiful.
1: Yeah, I really wanted to read that book and I just didn't get to it. So maybe I'll see if I can get the audiobook of it, then get both of them.
2: Yeah, together. I think it was yeah. nominated for an award or something to the oh, audiobook. Really? So yeah, it must be excellent.
0: All right, that's going on my list. I would second this nomination. I think uh, The Charm Offensive was like the most fun I had reading a book last year, 100%. Like nothing else even came close. It was so good. So, so good.
1: I'm adding that.
0: I'm writing that yes. down right now.
1: Do yeah, it. I I had it. I had the advanced copy and I just did not it's there's so many. I just yeah. don't have time for everything and but it's I love audiobooks too. I listen to them in my car when I'm doing laundry, when I'm cooking, when I'm doing dishes. Like so there's a lot of opportunities for that.
0: Yeah. I I miss audiobooks. I used to listen to them all the time when I had a commute and now that I don't, I feel like, "Oh, I don't have a, a dedicated space to like because I'm the kind of person where if I'm trying to multitask while listening to an audiobook, I I can't uh, mm. it just it just doesn't penetrate. I just lose either track of what I'm supposed to be doing with my hands or what I'm listening to. So yeah, I miss I miss that a lot.
1: Yeah. So T J, how about you? Do you have any advice or specific books to recommend?
0: I mean, what worked for me. Was that when I started kind of thinking about writing Chef's Kiss, when I started, you know, honing the idea, I read pretty widely in the genre. Like, I picked up a bunch of rom-coms. I picked up a bunch of queer romances, especially. You already mentioned something to talk about. That was, like, on the top of my list because it was, like, a perfect example of a slow burn. And I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I need to... Um, check this out and it's a great book everyone should read it Um, and then I could just like you know go through kind of like what was selling well what was interesting to me personally see what worked for me what might not work and because I'd never read a romance with a trans or non-binary character before at all I ended up picking up a lot of YA because that Mm -hmm. is where most of that representation is happening right now. So shout out to young adult books for yes. for putting the trans folks in there. For sure. so love it. Love it, for, love it for you. So there were a bunch of great YA indie and indie books um, that I could, you know, take a look at and see like, okay, what are other people doing? And is it what I want to do? Or do I want to go in another direction? You know, just because you pick up a book that you absolutely love, and you love what they're doing, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the lesson you're taking from it you know it could be it could be something else i mean as far as craft books i don't really read much about craft i it sounds so um i probably shouldn't admit that i mean i, ha- I had a professor when i got my writing uh degree in undergrad um she's a great literary short story writer uh, and and novelist um elizabeth Stucky french and her pieces of advice that I think that really stuck out for me were, were things like, you can't start your story with the idea that you're going to prove something, you know? Mm-hmm. Like her example was, you can't start a book and think, I'm going to write a story that proves that sexism is, sexism is bad, or that, you know, this is um, good. It, it's It doesn't work that way. You need to start with either you need to start with a human element, whether that is character or the plot. And you can't keep this laser focus that like, I am going to write something that proves me right. Like, that's not what it's it, it's about. You know, that's, that's going to mean you sacrifice all the, the good stuff, the fun stuff that people want to read about. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, no, but totally. it makes sense to me totally. in that moment. That was a very like, wow, you know, brain exploding moment when she told us that.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting. I never thought of writing that way, but I could definitely see how people would like they would just come to writing with that perspective.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I have read books that I think have been written from that perspective or maybe I just didn't enjoy them for some other reason and I just want to like ascribe it to that. But sometimes you're reading something and you're like, well, this this person's got something to prove, huh? And like you just <laughs> already feel very defensive about it. And it's like, I'm not here to argue with you, the author. I'm here to have fun. Um, so, yeah, that, that I think was the big piece of craft advice, if that counts as craft advice that I've internalized. Yeah. And this is not to say that books can't have like pretty obvious like morals or like, you know, like in Chef's Kiss, I I hope that most people come out of that being like, oh, you know, non-binary people deserve respect. But like, I don't think if I had gone into writing that with that in mind that like I need to show people that non-binary people deserve respect, like that's not an argument I need to be having with my reader like they're already picking up the book I think we're already on the same page on that one hopefully um and if not like that's not the conversation I want to be having with them I want them to come to that on their own if they aren't there already you know um otherwise it's just like yeah it's very antagonistic in a way that is not villainous and sexy (laughs) (laughs)
2: I think, Uh, I think relating to that too, like when you can kind of tell when an author gets editorial, when they're like inserting, when the author inserts themselves and it's the characters become mouthpieces for, you know, a goal. And I I think authors do have thesis statements, right? Like we get to the end of a book and we're like, oh, we wrote a book about something. Mm -hmm. And then our editors are like, well, this is what your book is about. And now we're going to go back and make sure that the reader knows, but we're not going to hit the reader over the head with it. We're just gonna do that. And I wanted to say to your point, TJ, that you were saying like, oh, I don't read craft books, but I don't, I don't think that's good or bad. I don't think that's an in-between place. I think every writer has a different set of points to make, right? Like, like every story has its own way of like coming out. And, and I think, I don't know if you relate to this, but I feel like really lucky when you're working with a team of editors and people putting books together, you're kind of learning on the job every single day every time you sit down to write you're learning something new whether someone's telling you that whether a book's telling you that whether you're taking a class you're learning actively
0: oh thank god I mean (laughs) (laughs) I I I I, I'm going to try and own the fact that like maybe craft books just aren't for me um or maybe I just haven't met the right one yet (laughs) yeah But you're right. You're absolutely right that like, you know, thank God you have, you know, that I am lucky enough to have this great team of people who every time my editor makes a suggestion, I'm like, oh, that's, that's this amazing suggestion that makes perfect sense to me and my brain and wish I'd thought of it, but it's a good thing someone did, you know, and then Mm -hmm. for the next book, I'm like, I'm going to keep that in mind. Like that was, that was something that I can, that I can use later. And I can see it like, you know, the nicest thing my agent ever said to me as I've been working on new projects is like, wow, I can see how you're really like taking advice and like using it and growing. And I'm like, Oh my God, thank you. Like, um, I'm ready for the medal or trophy that I get for this (laughs) because you win at writing sometimes. Right. Hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. There come those moments.
1: There's, there's so many rejections, but you know, it is gratifying when that moment comes and it's like, wow, and kind of doing something right.
2: <laughs> One of the things that surprised me about it was how vulnerable it is. I guess I just didn't expect it to hit me as much as it did, because I know we're, we're writing fiction stories and and we are putting characters and character arcs on the page, but there's always little bits of you that sneak in there, and being perceived by others is terrifying, mm-hmm. no matter what your line of work is. And I think, especially as a queer person, there's you know there's so many so many different different ways to be a queer person and so when people read your book it's it's they're they're taking a little bit of you and saying like hmm how do i see this how am i experiencing this in the world what can i think about and i think the gratifying part of that though is i've had a couple of readers reach out to me in in a similar way that you said earlier tj where it's like i got to have a conversation like me and my friend were both reading this arc and I had never heard the term demisexual before. I had never watched a film prior to 1990. Like now I went and watched one and Ooh, I really no. liked it. I know. Well, I mean, some of the readers are young. So, you know, um, yeah. and, <laughs> and so I was just like, oh, that that feels really gratifying to me that you read a work of fiction and decided like, I'm gonna go do something now that I've I've finished the book and put it down. Um, I think that action part is really cool.
0: Oh yeah, totally. I've had people like message me on Instagram to be like, um, drop the recipe for this galette. And I'm like, it's coming bestie. (laughs) Like, don't worry Uh. about it. (laughs) Um, yeah, I just, I love that. I love when people finish a book and they're not just like, well, that was a book and now I go on with my life. Like, I want you obsessed a little bit, please. (laughs) Feels good. Feels right.
1: Oh yeah. Totally obsessed. And I think both of you have already mentioned like what's coming next. Like the, there's, um, The Matthew Prince for you, Timothy, and what else is coming for both of you? Something you're working on?
0: Yeah. So right now I'm working on book two for Atria. It is also a queer rom com. It's going to also be based in the food world, and it's actually it's in the same universe as Chef's Kiss. So if you liked Chef's Kiss and you like those characters, I think you'll be pleasantly, you know, pleased with. Uh, how book two is going I don't think I'm allowed to say anything more than that I don't think yet Hmm. yeah we'll find out soon enough right you'll find out soon enough and other projects that I'm working on that are super exciting um, Georgia Clark who is another rom-com author she Mm -hmm. writes um, these amazing like huge cast like Mm -hmm. multi-generation rom-coms um, her new book coming out this summer, Island Time, is hilarious and amazing and beautiful, and I recommend it, you know, a million times. She is working on a new project called Heartbeat, which is going to be a series of short stories um, oh, done man. as a newsletter format, and I'm gonna be um, hopefully, you know, joining the gang on that for um, a fun little romp. Uh, really quick, like short story. And um, what else? Um, Other things that I don't think I'm allowed to talk about yet because my agent would kill me. Yeah, Uh, I know that feeling. Yeah. But if anyone is interested in hearing the latest, I have a newsletter. um, You can find that. And if you are interested in um, more queer historical fiction, please tell, tell, tell everyone on the internet so that I can maybe give you some.
1: That sounds cool. So Timothy, do you have anything else like in the works? You're probably not allowed to share either, but you're working on <laughs> book three.
2: Yeah. So, so, um, your mean when Matthew Prince is not like done, done, um, it's okay. up on Edelweiss, So it's, it's, it's ready for advanced readers, but you know, I will do one more pass of that book in past pages. So I'll get to read, read my words one last time and dot my eyes and cross Matisse and and send that out. Um, And then I am working on a third book, but that's all I can say about it at this time. Um, Um, But that um, is slated tentatively to come out summer of 2023. So you'll get one in October and hopefully a summer read in the following year. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, I'm trying my absolute best, but I am not oh that great at it. I'm so um, old.
1: I am too old for TikTok.
2: Yeah, probably uh, you. I, yeah. I Like, I like it because it knows me better than I know myself. Like, I love the viewing experience <laughs> of TikTok. It is, I'm like, hmm, I thought about that TV show from 2008 once, four days ago, and now you're showing me a scene from it. How did that happen? It's right um, in your mind. And so, but yeah, I'm, I'm at Timothy Janowski on all three of those platforms. Cool.
0: And I am on Instagram and Twitter at TJ Alexander NYC, and you can find everything possible newsletter, book news, et cetera, at my website, tjalexander.com. Awesome. Well,
1: thank you both for being here. I'm, it was such a pleasure to talk to you and. I'm so excited for readers to find your work. So, again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.